Second Samuel chapter nine. Let's read the entire chapter together. Follow along with me. David said, is there yet any that is left to the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was at the house of Saul, a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they called him unto David, the king said unto him, art thou Ziba? And he said, thy servant is he. The king said, is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, behold, he's in the house of Mekur, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Mekur and the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David, he fell on his face and did reverence. David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold thy servant. David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant? That thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am. Then the king called to Ziba. Oh, let me pause right there for a second. That should have said that thou shouldest look upon such a dead cat as I am. Why didn't he say cat? That would have been more appropriate. Verse 9, back to the text. Got to get that out of my system because the message is going to be fairly serious tonight. So can't be busting a dead cat joke right in the middle. Then, verse 9, the king called the Ziba, Saul's servant. Said unto him, I have given unto thy master son all that pertain to Saul and to all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him. Thou shalt bring in the fruits that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread all the way at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then said Ziba unto the king, according to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table. As one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem. For he did eat continually at the king's table. And was lame on both his feet. What a story. title of the message tonight is the kindness of God. Notice verse 3 again. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? I want you to understand that David wasn't just looking to be a nice guy. The kindness that he showed to Mephibosheth on this day wasn't just, Hey, let me buy you coffee today. This is the kindness of God he showed to Mephibosheth. This means that In this text tonight, we're actually learning more about God's kindness than David's kindness. Steve Jones comments on this passage. Just as x-rays pass through the human body and reveal an accurate picture of the heart to the physician's trained eye, there are some important ways in which the actions of David revealed the heart of God. We get some of those x-rays in the remarkable story of Mephibosheth. I want us to look at David's heart as revealed in his kindness toward Mephibosheth so that through it we might see God's kind-heartedness toward you and me. If for nothing else tonight, church, I I want this story to do for us what the Apostle Peter desired his 
that his epistles would do for us and those that he was writing to. And that is to stir us up by putting us in remembrance. One of the main imperatives that God gives his people all throughout the Old Testament is the imperative to not forget him. The psalmist said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Forgetting God's kindness isn't just an ancient problem with the Israelites. It's a current problem with us. If we're not careful and intentional, we can easily forget all of God's kindness that he's shown us through his son, Jesus Christ. That's why we have this story before us tonight, to stir us up, to remember us. How many think you need to be stirred up tonight? To bring the kindness of God front and center in our minds and in our hearts. With that said, we're going to study the text under three headings. God's kindness and how it seeks us. God's kindness and how it welcomes us. God's kindness and how it enriches us. Number one, God's kindness seeks the lost. The story started off in verse 1 by telling us that David inquired as to whether there was any left in the house of Saul to whom he could show kindness. It was David that initiated this. It was David's idea. It was David that went looking for Mephibosheth. I've heard Christians often speak of their conversation about their their conversion and, and, and their coming to Christ in terms of them seeking after God. But Romans chapter 3 says this, as it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. Unrighteous people don't seek God. People don't wake up one day and know how to get to heaven. It's by God initiating kindness and seeking them that people are able to hear the gospel. God has used for thousands of years now the Holy Spirit to convince and woo Christians of his validity and truth. No man who's come to Christ for salvation can pat himself on the back for his great faith or his great intelligence. Those are gifts from God. God sought him. Jesus confirms when he said, no man can come to me except the father which hath sent him, sent me draw him. That's John 6, 44. No man can come to me unless the father draws him. Every sinner does what the first sinners did. Adam and Eve tried to hide from God. And every unconverted sinner since is a convicted fugitive on the run from divine justice. The only reason that sinners get saved, are you listening? Is because of the personal missionary work of an almighty God. I want you to see how this plays out. Look at verse 1 again. And David said, is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Several ways this shows us of how God seeks us. Follow me here. He seeks us because of who he is. Nothing forced David to seek out Mephibosheth. No one pressured him to do it. In fact, he would have had the cultural pressure to not do it. But something within David moved him to reach out an act in kindness. And that something was a covenant that he had made earlier with Jonathan. It was David's character of faithfulness to that covenant that led him to seek out Mephibosheth. It had nothing to do with Mephibosheth. Likewise, God doesn't owe you anything good either. 
God owes each of us divine justice and holy wrath and eternal punishment. But because of who he is, because of his covenant faithfulness, we get kindness and we get grace and we get mercy. Who is God? Well, Paul speaks of him in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5 as rich in mercy. But God, who is rich in mercy? For his great love wherewith he loved us hath quickened us or made us alive together with Christ by grace ye are saved. God seeks us because that's his very character. It's who he is. He wants to seek and save that which is lost. He is mercy. He is grace. He is love. He is faithfulness. It's not you. It's not me. He seeks us because it's just who he is. Number two, he seeks us for the sake of another. The external reason why David sought out someone to show kindness to was because of Mephibosheth's father, Jonathan. Jonathan and David were best friends. In fact, Jonathan loved David so much that he protected him from Saul's wrath. And he supported his his ascension to the throne of Israel, even though he was Saul's son and the rightful heir to the throne. If you remember back in 1 Samuel chapter 18 and 20, David and Jonathan entered into a covenant with one another. And David promised to be kind to Jonathan's house after his promotion and even after Jonathan's death. David made a covenant. Now in 2 Samuel 9, David is seeking out someone from the house of Jonathan to whom he can show that loyal covenant love of God to. David was gracious to Mephibosheth, it says in verse 1, for Jonathan's sake. And God is gracious to us for Jesus' sake. In the movie, The Last Emperor, I don't know if you've seen that. The young child who's the last emperor of China lives a magical life of luxury with a thousand servants at his beck and command. One day his brother asked him, what happens when you do wrong, emperor? The boy emperor replied, when I do wrong, someone else is punished. And to demonstrate, he breaks a jar and one of the servants is beaten with it. That's the exact opposite of how God has dealt with us. Jesus Christ reversed this pattern. Instead of the servants being punished for the king's sin, the king has been punished for the servant's sin. Jesus, Isaiah 53, surely he hath borne our griefs. And carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. 2 Corinthians 5, for he hath made him to be sin for us who do no sin, that we may be made the righteousness of God in him. Why is God kind to us? Because Jesus died for us. It's for his sake that he seeks us. There's a third way in which God seeks us. He seeks us in spite of us. We read in verses 2 through 4 about Ziba, to Saul's servant. When David summoned him and and inquired about the surviving member of Saul and Jonathan's family, Ziba singled out Mephibosheth. But you know what's interesting? He didn't mention Mephibosheth by name. In verse 3, he introduced Mephibosheth to David by his condition. Are you listening? He didn't say Mephibosheth. He said there's this guy... 
that's lame on his feet. See, according to 2 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 4, Mephibosheth was just five years old when Saul and Jonathan died. And when those two guys died, the news reached the royal family and everybody fled out of fear. Mephibosheth's nurse went and picked him up quickly and ran. And as she was running, she dropped him. When he fell, he was permanently crippled. There were no special surgeons back then. When you had this kind of accident, you were stuck this way for life. It seems to me that Ziba reports Mephibosheth's condition to make this point to David. He's not worth it. He can't help you. He's not even going to hurt you. He's crippled. Leave him alone. He's of no use. It's not worth the time and money and resources to chase him down. But David, thank God, was undeterred by Ziba's advice. David said, where is he? Tell me where he's at. And Ziba reported that Mephibosheth was hiding out in the home of benefactors in Lodabar. Lodabar, that name Lodabar means no pasture. We don't know much about this place, but scholars agree that, that its name was meant to indicate that it was a barren place, an unfruitful place, an altogether terrible place. And, and here's the point the narrator's making to us. Mephibosheth was a crippled man from a fallen destiny living in a horrible environment. He had nothing going for him, yet David reached out to him in kindness. Verse 5 tells us that David sent for Mephibosheth and brought him from Lodabar. And that's what God's kindness has done for us. God has sought us out in spite of us. We were his enemies. Are you hearing me? But he sought us. We were wicked. But he sought us. We were unbelievers. But he sought us. We were rebels. But he sought us. We were hopelessly lost. But he sought us. We were crippled in our sin. But he sought us. We were stuck in our own load of bars. But he sought us. The psalmist said that we were stuck in the miry clay. But God in his kindness has brought us out of the miry clay. Set our feet upon a rock. And established our goings. Every one of us have a different story of who we were and where we were when God sought us out. But at the end of the day, whether your testimony is dramatic or not dramatic at all, we were all sinners in need of a Savior. And God found us right where we were. He loved us right where we were. And praise God, He didn't leave us where we was. Amen. What a picture of God's kindness we see in how David sought out Mephibosheth. Let's talk about the second aspect of God's kindness Through David, it's this, God's kindness welcomes in the enemy. Can you imagine, church, when the king's soldiers knocked at the door? Mephibosheth's door. Mephibosheth must have seen his whole life flash before his eyes. He knew how it went. When a new king would arise to power, the family of the previous dynasty was put to death so there wouldn't be any revolts or rebellions later on. So Mephibosheth must have entered David's presence like a cornered enemy. That we read in the text where David embraced him like a long lost friend. David welcomed him at his royal table. When most kings had treated him, would have treated him like a threat or like an enemy. David treated him like family. This reminds me of Romans 5, but God... Commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if, when we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Hear me, if you're saved tonight, you are no longer an enemy to the king. You're welcome into his family as one of his own. That that means you don't have to be afraid of God's wrath, Paul teaches us. See, Mephibosheth was expecting to face the king's wrath. There was nothing he could have done about it. Yet verse 7 tells us the first thing he hears from the king after the king speaks his name, is this, fear not. Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness. David's welcoming kindness eliminated Mephibosheth's fear. This reminds me of a story I read about President Thomas Jefferson. He was riding horseback cross country when he and his companions came to a swollen river. The story tells about a wayfarer who stood at the banks of the river as the group was passing by but when jefferson approached the wayfarer stopped him and asked if if jefferson would carry him across the river on his horse jefferson did once he got to the other side one of the group members asked why he selected the president to ask this favor of the wayfarer said the president i didn't know he was the president All I know is that on some faces is written the answer no. And on some faces is written the answer yes. He was a yes face. David had a yes face. Toward Mephibosheth. It was a welcoming kindness that put the crippled man at ease. And God has a yes face toward us as well. One that we don't have to be afraid of. If we're saved. If you're a child of the king tonight, you can confidently say what the psalmist said in Psalms 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You can think about yourself like Jesus thinks of you. In the fold, under the shepherd's care. My sheep, he says in John 10. Hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, watch this now, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Because Jesus Christ, because God Himself welcomes in the enemies like you and me, we don't have to be afraid of death, and we don't have to be afraid of hell, and we don't have to be afraid of the grave. If you've been saved tonight, you will not experience the eternal wrath of God because you're no longer His enemy. He welcomes you into His presence. What have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms. I have perfect peace with my Lord so near, leaning on the everlasting arms. How does it feel to go from an enemy to a friend? Amazing. God's kindness seeks the lost. It welcomes in the enemy. Notice lastly, God's kindness enriches the fallen. Verses 6 through 8 record David's conversation with Mephibosheth. Verses 9 through 11 record David's conversation with Ziba about Mephibosheth. These verses illustrate a few ways that God's kindness enriches us. 
First of all, God's kindness gives undeserved riches. It's what David did for Mephibosheth. He restored to him all the land of Saul and Jonathan. You understand tonight, David didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do that to keep his promise to Jonathan. He could have just put Mephibosheth on kind of a royal welfare system and kept Saul's estate for himself. But David gave it all to Mephibosheth. In fact, it was so great that verse 10 says it would take Ziba's 15 sons and 20 servants to care for the land. That's how rich he made Mephibosheth. With one decree from the king, this crippled man went from living in someone else's house in Lodabar to owning his own royal estate. This is what God's kindness does for us. It enriches us beyond what we deserve. 2 Corinthians 8, for ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. He's not talking about money. He's not talking about a state. He's not talking about wealth. He's talking about spiritual blessings in Christ. Like he says in Ephesians 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And then the rest of Ephesians 1 goes on to list some of those specific blessings we have as children of God. It says we're holy. It says we're blameless. It says we're loved. It says we're children of the King. It says we've been given redemption. And we've been given forgiveness. And we've been given wisdom. And we've been given prudence. And we've been given security. Hey, you may not be rich according to the world's standards, But in God's economy, his children are wealthy beyond imagination. Oh, if you're in Christ, your bank account may be empty. But friend, you are rich. God's kindness also gives unconditional favor. Four times in this chapter, verses 7, 10, 11, and 13. We're told that David gave Mephibosheth a permanent place At his royal table. If I were to pull out one theme from the text, that's what it would be. That's what the narrator wants us to understand. This wasn't a subtle form of house arrest, right? To keep his eyes on Mephibosheth. It wasn't a handout to meet the physical need that Mephibosheth would have for food. He just gave him his own crops. He didn't need food. David's kindness was about favor. Favor. Verse 11 says that Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. That means David adopted Mephibosheth. He wasn't just a special guest at the royal table. He was a member of the royal family. I don't know about you, but my mind goes to the New Testament table that Jesus invited his disciples to sit at for the Passover meal. Just hours before Jesus' trial and crucifixion. You remember who was around that table and made to feel welcome? Liars, doubters, zealots, traitors, sinners. Yet Jesus showed them favor. And if you know your Bible, you know this. He even washed their feet. I believe David's table with Mephibosheth And Jesus' table with the disciples are both meant to foreshadow an eternal table that all of God's children will sit at in the kingdom of heaven. It's an amazing thought. 
Matthew 8 verse 11. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. You see that? That do anything for you? Revelation 19, he saith unto me, right? Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. He saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. Eternity, listen church, will be like a great meal. The the best meal, a a royal meal with an amazing spread. But it will also be a family meal with joy and laughter and love. Listen, of all the places I could eat, that is the one place I most want to eat. It's the one place I need to eat at the king's table. This is why we're having communion. To remind us of what Jesus has done. To give us all a spot at the table. On August 31st, a week from this Wednesday, all the members of our church will come together for the sole purpose of sitting at the Lord's table. I mean this from the bottom of my heart. You don't need to miss this service. It is a special ordinance That Jesus said you ought to do regularly. And when your church is meeting for communion. That means here's what we're doing. We, we We are taking a space in a service. Just to put us at the table. I know it's 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 metaphorical in a sense. But this helps our soul. It helps us to evaluate the fact that we aren't worthy of sitting at the table. And in our pride, if we don't do communion often, in our pride, we forget about our unworthiness. We think because we make a little money and we got a decent job and we got some intelligence and our kids are handsome and they're pretty and everything's going great. We we begin to think that this life's about us. It's about our job. It's about our career. It's about our house. It's about our family. It's about our possessions. No, it's not about us. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. And a week from this Wednesday, we'll come in and we will be humbled together as a church. It'll be a different tone. It'll be a different spirit. You'll sense it. You'll see it. You'll feel it. It's a service. That pulls us up to the table and every one of us, metaphorically, every one of us will walk up crippled. Broken sinners, but we've been made whole by the Savior. And if you're discouraged, you really need to be there because it is a foretaste of the eternal table. What you will sense in that service will give you a little taste of, wow, this is what heaven's like. It's going to be amazing, amazing. Let me give you one more. God's kindness gives unending security. There's an important detail in verse 11. And it might be verse 10. Yeah, verse 10. And in verse 13 that tells us a little bit about David's intention with Mephibosheth. I want you to look at verse 10. Would you look there in your Bible? Look at that phrase where it says, But Mephibosheth, towards the end, But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. Drop down to verse 13. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually.
continually at the king's table. The narrator is wanting to make clear that David has made a permanent promise. This wasn't merely foster care until he got his act together. This was a permanent agreement where Mephibosheth would eat continually at the king's table, which meant in this day that he would be kept secure forever as one of the king's sons. Well, did did David live up to his end of the bargain? Sure, we'll get there eventually, but 2 Samuel 21. You ought to read it tonight when you go home. David got into a skirmish with the Gibeonites. They demanded that David hand over Saul's sons so they could hang them. And David said, okay, but I ain't giving him Mephibosheth. He gave him it all, but he didn't give him Mephibosheth. David made a covenant with Jonathan to protect this crippled man, and he kept it. That's why the Hebrew word used to describe David's kindness is the word hesed. H-E-S-E-D. Because it's referring to more than just being nice to somebody. Or feeling sorry for somebody. It's referring to covenant kindness, a love based on a promise, a steadfast love, a remaining love, an unending love. David made the promise of security to Jonathan and he wasn't going to back away from it forever. And the same is true for God's promise to us. I'll get this. He promised in Ephesians 1 verse 13 and 14 that we will be sealed and kept secure until the day of our redemption. In whom ye also trusted. After that, ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy 1 verse 12, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. God's made a covenant with us that once we believe in Jesus, once we repent of our sin, he will keep us secure until we get to heaven. God won't sell us out. God won't let us go. God won't turn his back on us. He won't have a a bad day and forget to keep holding on. We are his sons and daughters and we will sit at his table forever. Could that be why the shepherds, the the psalmist said of, of the shepherd in Psalms 23, thou preparest a table before me, the presence of mine enemies, thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight. He will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. Why? His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost. He will hold me fast. God's kindness seeks us, welcomes us, and enriches us. How should we respond to his kindness tonight? Well, look at verse 8. Mephibosheth tells us, shows us rather. And he bowed himself. Said, what is thy servant? 
that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am. Mephibosheth wasn't being self-deprecating. He was being humble and he was being honest. And he likened himself. A dog was just culturally a disgrace in that day. Truly. A dead dog was worse. It's the worst thing he could think of in that moment. Because that's how he truly felt. That was his level of unworthiness in the presence of the king's kindness. He wasn't putting himself down. And you don't need to put yourself down either. You're a child of the king. But when you've been reminded of God's kindness to you, you should fall on your face. Are you hearing me? You should bow down and say, I'm just your servant. Thank you for making me your king, but I am so, I mean, your your child, but I am so unworthy. And through humility, it ought to lead you to worship. Tonight, and I'll lead you to worship. There's another response, though. And it's less stated, but I, but I think it's still true. That we ought not just to worship God for his kindness to us. We ought, like David, to reflect God's kindness to other people. How can you look at this text and go out tomorrow and be mean to somebody? Seriously, mean. Mean to your spouse? How do you look at that text? And go home tonight and be mean to your spouse, degrading to your spouse. You got to understand that if your spouse is saved, they're at the same table you're at. How do you do that? How do you get sarcastic and demean them? How do you get angry and say things you don't mean? How do we get impatient with our kids and And just say really impulsive, irresponsible, hurtful things that they might remember for a long time. How do we go to work tomorrow and be mean? No, I'm I'm serious. How, How do we do this? Young people, why do we bully people? How do we bully people? How do we exclude people? Because of the way they look or their personality. When God's been so kind to us. How do we huddle up in our little circle every service? Every service. It's our little circle, our little family. Our people in the K-Cafe. Our people in the foyer. We huddle up. While people have no circle. Well, I'm not being mean. Yes, you are. You actually are. Not intentionally, but that's the message you're sending. That's the message I'm sending. When we don't, like Paul instructed the church at Rome, to receive people, that's what we're doing. We're withholding the kindness of God. When we get so caught up with our routines at church that we forget people walk in here and out of here who who don't have one single family member or friend in this place. How do we do that when God's been so kind? I want to encourage you this week, initiate kindness. Now this week, you go, you reflect God's kindness to somebody. Make it your idea. You seek somebody out, like David sought Mephibosheth. And in some tangible way, listen, just be nice. Just be nice. 
Some, some people said that, that people will forget what you do for them. But they'll never forget the way you made them feel. And somebody in your path this week will need to be made to feel like they belong. Like they're somebody. It could be a customer. It could be a patient of yours. It could be your own spouse. It could be your own child. It could be your own parent, a grandparent. Let's just make this rule all week long. We're just not going to be mean people. It's going to be kind people. Let's show the, the love, grace, and kindness of God to those around us. So we're going we're gonna to close. And I'm, I, think, I think we need to sing. Um, I don't know if this is in there, so Tammy, you might have to help us. I want to sing Psalm 84 tonight. Because it just, just entered in my mind. There's, there's a line in that song that, that talks about sitting at the table. Remember we sang that this morning in worship? And sometimes when you hear a truth from God's word and then it's reflected in a song, it means a little bit more. And maybe that song will even mean more to us as we worship together than it did this morning because now we can reflect on the fact that there's been a table prepared for us in the presence of our enemies. Surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. We will dwell in the house of the Lord sitting at his table forever. We're going to let them play through a little bit without singing. Because I want to give us all a chance, including myself, to bow down. That's what Mephibosheth did. You don't have to call yourself a dead dog. But you need to view yourself as a recipient of God's mercy, kindness, and love. Say thank you. When everybody's done praying, we're going to worship together through singing Psalms 84. All right? Let's fill the altar.